Hey everybody, Melissa McKenzie, a publisher of The Spectacle and The American Spectator. I guess I'm the publisher of The Spectacle. Anyway, uh, joining me is Scott McKay. I don't actually think I am. You're the host. Our, is our You're producer. The host. Actually, I think, uh, yeah, I think Kay Cruz is the publisher of The Spectacle. The publisher she's of the, She's Kay the one Cruz. that presses the button and makes it Right, public. makes everything happen. So, I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, this is early on a Monday morning, and it was a long weekend. So, okay. um, <laughs> hopefully, our viewers will have mercy on me and you. Um, it was a big football weekend. My son, who's at U University of Texas, noticed the burnt orange. Nobody. I was telling Scott beforehand, everybody, that no one looks good in burnt orange, including me. But I am wearing it in honor of the University of Texas, the Texans um, beat Alabama in Alabama. And I'd like to make a shout out right here, Scott, to Robert Stacy McCain, who bleeds Bama. <laughs> um, and uh, the tide did not roll. And so tears for him. Not really. I'm just rubbing it in. Since 1982, I got a video from uh spencer my kid um he was at a watch party and everybody was screaming and you know so um how did lsu do scott well they won by 62 points <laughs> over grambling which yeah, was over a, grambling like i don't know why lsu's like actually my complaint isn't that they played grambling saturday uh my complaint is that they played grambling the week after they played florida state uh, because, and this is a a thing that bothers me greatly, is uh, top 10 teams in college football who go and schedule these big sort of made-for-TV games in the opener, right, without having a warm-up game. Um, and LSU is the worst uh, offender of this. They've lost four straight season openers since the national championship year in 2019, uh, when they actually beat Texas um, in the opener in a, you know, completely uh, a track meet of a game, um, you know, with what some people think is the greatest team in all of college football, barely won that game. And it's like, could you please play a warm-up game against a Grambling and then go play the top 10 teams? And they never do. And the next two years, LSU is going to play USC and Clemson in the season. Oh, Neither yeah. one of which are at Tiger Stadium. I can't remember the last time. In 2020, they played the season opener in Tiger Stadium, and they lost to Mississippi State. That was the COVID year, and it was the year after they won the national championship, and everybody went pro. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Other than that, they go on the road, and they play these games against – uh, against these teams that you know you're they get the other team plays at home you're on the road first game of the season you don't know like half the, the positions or guys are new they don't know what they're doing and it's not all that great a barometer for what kind of team you have and they never go like let's go play grambling and work out the case and so you go oh and one and then the fans all last week in baton rouge were apoplectic about right. losing florida state and got beat by three touchdowns because they played terrible in the second half. Mm -hmm. You know, and I mean, look, the coach won the SEC West in year one. And actually, if you look around the SEC, I mean, even as bad as the Florida State game was, LSU's as good as anybody in, in terms of a bet to win the division. 
But man, you can't sell that to the people of Louisiana right now. I mean, they're they're in you know doomsday mode still. They're out for blood. They're like the A and M. A and M had a terrible weekend. Yeah, they got they got killed by Miami, who's not as good as Florida State. So A and M's got it even worse than LSU does. Right, and we keep going through coaches over at A and M, and. Uh, no, you don't. No, you don't know. <laughs> you need the GDP of Ukraine to get rid of uh, Jimbo Fisher's buyout. I mean, yeah. uh, he ain't going anywhere, which is it's, certainly that's true of Brian Kelly, but I don't think anybody's trying to get rid of him at LSU yet. But, right. Um, you know, that the the uh, fans at AM are always out for blood immediately. So it's probably good that they're going to yeah. have a coach that is going to stick around and hopefully build a program. But oh my goodness! I mean, yeah, I, I mean, well, yeah. So Texas, we'll Texas. Uh, the the joke is that Texas A and M is Texas eight and four, right? Like that's the joke, <laughs> right? right? No matter what they do, they end up eight and four. And then I guess last year they were what five and seven, which was right. like not good. And no. everybody figured because if you'll remember a year and a half ago, um, they went out and I mean the boosters just threw millions of dollars into their nil pool thing mm -hmm. they spent something like 30 million dollars on a recruiting class um and got you know all these five-star recruits a whole bunch of which have already transferred right mm -hmm. and the other rest of them are like sophomores and they're playing now and the, the thought was they're going to really start um you know coming up and, and turning in a really good team this year and then they get annihilated by miami um yeah. you know and i mean as an lsu fan i'm not i'm not saying anything because what florida state did to lsu was like ugly but having said that florida state was number eight miami was not ranked so, so do you think so texas is being ranked number four now after beating bama do you think that's accurate no no knowing what i know about texas texas will lose I mean, you like look at the schedule. Let's see. There's Baylor. Baylor's not good, but Baylor finds a way to beat Texas all the time. There's right. Kansas State, who is pretty good um, and beats Texas all the time. Uh, BYU just looks like the kind of team that'll beat Texas. Uh, Texas Tech beats Texas all the time. Like, they find ways to Texas lose Tech. games to people. Yeah. That? No, it, they do. Every they year, find they find ways to lose against, like, if it's an emotional game. I don't know why. I mean, well, I, let's hope that this year is different that this team is it's it's you know and, and the, the other thing is it's steve sarkeesian who's texas's coach mm -hmm. finds a way to lose games all the time that nobody thought he should lose that was kind of one of the reasons why um you know uh things well he got he got fired at usc for off the field stuff more than on the field stuff mm -hmm. but they were tired of losing you know to cal Right. Out of the blue. And so when his, you know, the drinking things came up, it was like, yep, let's get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, which I don't think was all that great an idea for them. But, you know, um, so in other words, you have a coach with a propensity to lose games. He's not supposed to lose. You have a program with a propensity to lose games. They're not supposed to lose. You just beat Alabama. So everybody over there thinks, oh, this is our year. And it's like, yeah okay right. uh, you know, you know the, the other one who's on the on that cloud right now who 
the football gods will get their revenge is Colorado. Yeah. Um, everybody right now is talking about Coach Prime and De- how Deion Sanders has brought Colorado's yeah. program back. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna uh, take anything away from them. They've had two very nice uh, wins to start the season. You know, beat a TCU team that was in the national championship game last year. You know, and got beat by a record margin for a bowl game or a postseason game in college football. Um, And then everybody went pro. So I'm not sure that win over TCU was all that impressive. And then they beat a Nebraska team that's a total basket case. Mm -hmm. But Colorado was one in 11 last year. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's definitely. They're 100% better than they were last year already. Correct. Now, you know, they've got Oregon and USC coming up. So. I don't think it's time to be a believer in the right. uh, fighting coach primes just yet. If they uh, beat one of those teams, though, I mean, yeah, it's look, I, I have I mean, no doubt that he's going to have a top 25 team this year. I really? think, uh, yeah, well, Shador Sanders, who's his son, who's the quarterback, is good. Mm-hmm. Like, he's legitimately good. Like, he, uh, he's probably one of the top 10 or 12 quarterbacks in the country. Um, you know, and so that's gonna right. win them ball games. Now, how many depends on how they do against you know teams with an actual pulse. And I'm not sure that they've played either one of the teams they played this this year so far have an actual pulse. So you know, worth watching. But so Sanders has gotten some crap because he runs a tight ship, and. They offloaded a bunch of players and some of them quite good. And some other coaches have, have not really that many quite good. I mean, remember that they were one in 11 and most of the players, they were getting blown out. So it was a lot of guys with a loser mentality. Hmm. Um, Now he was rapacious in uh, running these guys off. I mean, it was like, he he showed up first day says, most of y'all don't belong here. Mm. And it was like, uh, wait, what? <laughs> it was right. You know, and I mean, he just, you know, he gave guys walking papers left and right. But look, when you're a coach and you take over a program that's one in eleven, right? Um, specifically in this day and age in college football, where you have a transfer portal and mm-hmm. essentially an unlimited number of recruits you can take in a particular year. Mm-hmm. Um, it changes the dynamic that folks are used to, which is, well, it's going to take four years to turn the program around because you got to get your people in. You got to do this right, thing. right. Whereas now it's like, well, no, I'm going to run off all of the, the losers and bad players on my team and I'm going to replace them with my guys. Mm-hmm. You know, he was just most coaches will kind of soft pedal that in the media. Right. You know, ah, well, you know, we're, we're going to evaluate everything. And Sanders got there. He says, nope, everybody's got to go and bring in all my new, my own okay. guys. So it takes, you know, most programs, say, two or three years mm-hmm. uh, to sort of flush that out of the program. If there's a criticism, it's that uh, he ran guys off without giving them much of a chance to mm-hmm. um, prove themselves, to prove themselves. But on the other hand, when he runs them off right away, they get better options of places that they can go. 
right? Because if you run a guy, if you wait till spring practice and then you run guys off in May or June, you know, some of the better programs that they might look at. And in these guys' cases, when I say better programs, I'm talking about, you know, non-Power 5 schools that might be somewhat enjoyable to go play for. Um, You know, like they, they might be full or they may not have a starting job at middle linebacker available that a guy would, you know, where it's a good option. So, you know, it's, I don't want to call it tough love because it's not really love. <laughs> You're yeah, kind of mean. Out of your program. But, you know, under the circumstances, it might actually have been more practical to do it the way he did it. Yeah. The well, other thing about him though is, um, and why, you know, why I mentioned the football gods is, uh, so he gets these post-game press conferences, right? And it's, ain't none of y'all talking now, right? Like, I mean, he's got this kind of attitude, and I can yeah. tell you, that's the kind of thing the football gods take take note of, and mm-hmm. things will go wrong, right? right. Um, you play a better team, like an Oregon or whatever, and, you know, here you are, and you're running your mouth about, right. you know, uh, like you've already turned your program around, and – um, I don't know. That's just like you're tempting uh, disaster by taking that attitude. I mean, right. two games in, you know, you ought to be cautiously optimistic. And that's right. about it. Right. Um, and I got to say, though, he the, the height that he has and the belief that he has in the guys, like the the way he's talking about them as individuals and then the team generally and that he believes that they can do it and that that they have, you know, within them a winning mentality and all this kind of thing. It's kind of fascinating from a psychological perspective to watch kind of what he's doing because it's like this guy has a will. I had no idea when, you know, he was a player. He was just like this flashy guy. And it seemed like it was just raw talent. You know, right. I didn't realize how self-disciplined he was. And that, yeah, you know. the, the, the big thing about Dion when he was a player was, you know, the book on him was, look, this guy can break up a pass, pick off a pass with the best mm-hmm. of them. Um, run outside on his side because mm-hmm. Dion doesn't like to tackle. <laughs> like that, that, right. Was, right. that was the book on Dion Sanders's. Make him try to tackle because he really doesn't like it. Right. Um, you know, and I, I'm not sure if that's what kind of coach he is. Like, we'll find out. Yeah. But, um, right. You know, like, okay, so far it's a great show. Right. Like, we'll see whether, you know, all of the, the, the true um, kind of little things that you need to do to win games. Uh, like right. the non-flashy things. Like we'll see if that actually works for them. What I will say is I love watching the offense they run. I mm-hmm. mean, it is it is a lot of fun. It's wide open. They throw it all over the field. Um, and uh, there's a lot of speed. And, you know, it's, it's hell for a defense to handle. Mm-hmm. Now, they've played two very bad defenses so far. So, right. um Let's see. Let's see if it's hell for a good defense to handle. But I mean, you know, like Colorado hadn't been watchable in football for quite a while. Yeah. And they're watchable now. So even if they go six and six this year, it's still hell of an improvement. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, I was thinking, uh, you know, because the COVID restrictions are starting to be talked about again. And 
um, how corrosive all that was to things like college football, where, where there's just so much joy and, you know, community spirit around it. I mean, like, you know, everybody's just so excited about, I mean, of course I'm in Texas. So, and this is football. Right. And, um, but still it's something that my brother was at a game this weekend and everybody across the country, you know, loves these kind of community building things and the COVID restrictions that they're talking about imposing again are just so devastating for social bonds and I hope that even in like blue states that this is resisted strongly because it is terrible. And this kind of thing should not stop, you know? Look, woe betide the people that try to go back to that well, because I can tell you it's not going to work. It doesn't even matter how blue a state it might be where they're going to try to do this stuff. People are done. Yeah. I mean, people are done. I hope you're they're right. not going to tolerate it. You are going to get... This is like this is the kind of thing that turns regular people into um, the kind of behavior that Antifa did back in the summer of 2020. Right. Firebombing a federal courthouse, stuff like that. You will get that kind of stuff from normal folks if you try to bring back COVID restrictions. You will get civil unrest. You will get rioting. You will get pot shots taken at politicians. Um. I mean, you know, I, it's not, not a COVID thing, but like I'm watching New Mexico right now mm-hmm. uh, where the left wing hack Democrat governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham, who's a former congresswoman, if I'm not mistaken, and is now the governor, basically just set up a you know gubernatorial proclamation that bans uh, the public uh, carrying of firearms of any kind. Concealed carry, permit, permit, non-permit, whatever, like open carry, none of it. You, you, they, you know, she says you, you cannot carry a gun. It's, it was so bad that even David Hogg, the, you know, the, the, uh, yeah, the no mind kid, who college freaking kid, moron from the Parkland shootings things, who's become a Twitter influencer that somehow the left loves and nobody else does. Mm-hmm. Um, even David Hogg came out on Twitter and said, this is so unconstitutional, it's unbelievable. And yeah. so she's got members of the House and Senate in New Mexico uh, who are calling for him her impeachment. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, in other words, it's this is the it's the same kind of thing, right? Like, let's just rampantly violate people's constitutional rights and see what happens. And right. New Mexico is kind of one of these. New Mexico and Oregon and Colorado and some of these other ones are, you know, these states that Republicans fantasize about turning red, right? Mm-hmm. Because on the surface, you look at them and you say, it should probably be a red state. And New Mexico with, you know, Hispanic voters starting to trend a little bit more toward Republican um uh, votership and Democrat votership, you know, it's tantalizing. But then you get something like this, and all of a sudden it's like, well, maybe so, because you do have lots of Democrats in New Mexico who are gun owners. Um, and for it's one like of the Texas that way, like te- Texas, the something that I didn't really get until I came down here is that even the tree hugging libs have gun safety. Everybody's got a gun. Absolutely. Everybody's got a gun. And sure. so like oh, look, Michigan's not much different. Everybody no, in Michigan has a hunting way. rifle in the closet. Yeah. Right. I mean, 
Um, yeah, in fact, I, I, I want to say, I don't know if it was Michigan or Wisconsin, where um, just simply based on rifle ownership, it'd be like the third largest army in the world just, <laughs> just in that state. Right. And it's just, everybody's got a hunting rifle, but it's like, well, right. you know, if you had to mobilize people any kind of way, guess what? You right. do have a million folks under arms, right? Um, right. And well, Texas that, is yeah. much more than that. So, yeah. Um, but it's, you know, look, Colorado's like that, New Mexico's like that. And if the Democrat Party is going to become this wacko outfit where, you know, okay, we're going to lock you down with COVID. We're going to force you to wear a mask. We're going to force you to take a jab. We're going to take away your guns. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. You know, and, and I mean, uh, you know, well, you and I have gone back and forth about this. I mean, there's this feeling, particularly on the right, uh, that Kurt Schlichter last week called dooming, right? Like, oh, it's all dead, gone, whatever. And I'm just like, there are a whole lot of people that will not vote Democrat if it means giving up their guns and getting locked down with COVID. Like, fool me once, maybe, but I just, I think most Americans are going to be like, no, I'm not doing it. And there will be a reaction. I think, well, the one thing that is in the Republicans' failure, because the Republicans suck so bad, and I am sorry, Kurt Schlichter and Scott McKay, I am a doomer. I'm not saying that the Republicans are worthy of, you know, holding open the trick-or-treat bag and having goodies poured in, because well, well, they can't no. even leave the bag open. It's I, I, <laughs> right. You need Republicans worthy of that, and I will stipulate to that point. Well, I know, but I'm just saying that the Democrats are are have gone so bad, have gone so far left that even and uh, Biden being so decrepit and evil. Yeah, we need to talk about Vietnam before we get done today. Well, so like all I'm saying is that like that is pushing what the Democrat Party is going to end up being is just. Uh, single liberal women and rich, rich uh, coastal elites, basically, yeah. who are protect, and you can see it in the policies that the Democrats are picking. It's utterly Absolutely. cynical. So, like, you know, the reason why they're doing this loan payoff is because the majority of their uh, voters are, um, yeah, you know, they're they're women who majored in crip courses in college, didn't right. get a job that that would pay off their student loans, right. and are now you know, have gone begging, right? Yeah. They're underemployed. They're actually not underemployed, right? They're underemployed as to their student loan, but as to actual job skills, they're not. They're they're probably employed at where they what they need to be because they don't have any marketable skills. Right. Um yeah. So I mean this is the problem for the the Democrats and you know, it's always the Republicans are always getting their bacon saved by the Democrats being just completely terrible. Yeah. Can't one of the parties ever be good? Is it just too too much to ask that that you know a Republican has a principled stand and actually does the right thing? And but no, well, I you know I don't think the problem is so much the parties per se as the elites right because the party is a reflection of the elite at the top of it mm -hmm. um and you know the gop is an utter joke in terms of its political elite just like the democrats are an utter joke 
But the difference that we've seen in the last decade or so um, is that the utter joke political elite on the Democrat side at least knows how to do things like harvest ballots and motor, you know, uh, mobilize voters. Right. Whereas, you know, the, the the elite on the Republican side, I'm not sure what they're good at. Um, drawing money down from corporations, I guess. Uh, but they're not that good at that anymore. Um, and the thing that kind of blows me away is while they were drawing that money down and shilling for corporate America, they allowed corporate America to go to the Democrats. Right. Like, I'm not even, I don't know that there's a political party in in human history that dedicated itself pretty much solely to the interests of a special interest group mm -hmm. that they then lost. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I see these people all the time and I'm like, that represents a Republican party that even Republicans can't stand. Right. Um and it's and and like that is the sort of Bush Republican, you know, corporatist GOP elite, the Mitch McConnells of the world um, that, you know, I, like I don't know where their constituency is. I mean, obviously, they have paid off pundits that will kind of sing their praises here and there. But I see very little um, uh justification for the idea that these people have a constituency they yeah just don't now trump runs rubs suburban republicans the wrong way um and there's that but even suburban republicans that i see who, who have been sort of the corporatist uh country club gop types a lot of these people i mean you know folks that i've known for a long time you know, who, who fit that description are radicalized now. Right. Right. I mean, and it wasn't any, you know, fresh movement within the Republican Party that made that happen. Like you said, it's the Democrats that radicalized them. Right. Um, you know, and so when when I'll trot out my old thing of, you know, look, we don't have, you know, William F. Buckley Republicans versus Daniel Patrick Moynihan, uh, you know, liberal Democrats anymore. Right. No, you know, no. it's 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 Ron DeSantis versus AOC. And they're like, yeah, that is right. That 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 is the way it was. There's nobody on the left that we can work with anymore. And it's like, okay, you're only 10 years too late coming to that realization. Right. But thank you, because now we can actually get somewhere because you get it. Um right. I don't know that people in Congress or the Senate get it, um, which is why we have to get rid of as many of those people as we can. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think there is there is something of a, a recognition out there that um, as bad as the Republicans might be, the Democrats have completely gone off the rails mm -hmm. um, and that there's nobody really minding the store, right? Like everybody is still talking about this CNN poll from last week mm -hmm. um, where, you know, I think it was, I, I can't, I don't want to get all the numbers mixed up, but 61% uh, of, of, uh, of the voters out there don't believe Joe Biden on the Hunter Biden stuff, um, which is pretty amazing considering that the legacy media has done everything they could to try to protect them from that. 
And the public is not buying it. The public believes that this is a real thing. Two thirds of the Democrats polled in this poll um, want somebody other than Joe Biden, but they can't give you a name. Right. Like they can't give you a name. So it's like, okay, well, who do you want? And they can't come up with anybody. They, you know, and and I something that we probably should talk about a little bit uh, in this podcast. Who is Gavin Newsom on Friday saying, "I'm out. I'm not running." Oh, did he? Twenty-four. Yes, and he also said, "No, Kamala Harris is the heir apparent." He said that. Yes. Yes. You know what that tells me? Go ahead. Economic doom is coming. He knows. Yeah, I because the thing is, is he is such a narcissist that he do, he would not want to be either Correct. running in the, hold the bag on this. Doesn't yeah. want to hold the bag on this. That's what that tells me. So I so I think that's true, but I think there's something else that's going on. Um, and I've written this uh, at the Spectator, which is why um, I'm curious. So the Democrat Party is run by the Obama machine, right? I mean, it may be run by Barack Obama himself, but it's certainly run by his machine. Mm -hmm. Uh, They control who gets the nomination, right? I mean, if it wasn't for them pulling the strings, Joe Biden would not have been the nominee. I don't know who it would have been, but Joe Biden was not in the top five at the time that those strings got pulled and all of a sudden everything fell into place for him, right? Bernie Sanders probably would have been the nominee. Uh, but for what they did. And they made, who was the number two? Who got the vice presidential nod? Kamala Harris, who brought nothing to the table other than she was the Obama machine's candidate at the very beginning. And then she performed so badly that, you know, there was nothing they could do. But they made her the VP and everybody else was like, what? Like that you couldn't pick a worse VP candidate. No. No, she's a reliable puppet for the Obama machine. And right. that was the most important thing. So you have two Obama puppets mm-hmm. in, at, you know, in the White House and in, at as vice president. Right. Gavin Newsom is not an Obama puppet. Gavin Newsom has an ego even bigger than Barack Obama. So if Newsom was going to run and win the right. nomination, it would be the end of the Obama machine. He would build his own machine. And so with him saying, I'm out, tells me that um, one of two things is true. Either he couldn't come to deal with them, right? Like they wanted too much and he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. Or, um, you know, he just doesn't think that he can beat them. Like they control too many levers inside that party and he thinks it's too tough a fight. Either way, he looks at this and he says, okay, this thing's going to tank in 24. I'll bide my time and I get to inherit the party in 28, yeah. which may or may not be true. The thing um, is, is that Gavin Newsom has some serious skeletons in his closet. Uh, without it, question. And yeah, it, but remember, it, this is a Democrat party that elects John Fetterman. Skeletons oh. don't matter to them. Well, right? that, that's absolutely true, but it does matter to the... Uh, general voter and the thing is yeah. is that like, um, one of our writers our young writers Ellie Gardy is um, has a book contract actually and is writing about Gavin Newsom and I could I as I'm reading through this book Scott I am 
stunned. It's, oh yeah, he, he, he is a bad guy, and oh, uh, you know you know what he is. He's Fidelito Justin Trudeau, hmm. and he even looks like him. Um, <laughs> I mean that like that's who he is. Um, yeah. and you know, God help the country that makes somebody like that president mm -hmm. because you know you are going to reap the whirlwind I, but that having been said and i think what we're both driving at is he would have a very difficult time getting elected um i think he would have a very difficult time building the machine that gets him elected um because you know democrats are not about persuading people that what they have to offer is any good they're about dragging their people to the to the polls in larger numbers than the Republicans do. Yeah. But, you know, that that requires a pretty well-oiled political machine to do that nationally. You have to stitch together the little, you know, urban Democrat machines across the country and the courthouse gangs in some of these places. And I mean, that takes a lot of money and it takes it takes talented people to be able to hurt all those cats, um, which. That is the thing that Barack Obama was or is most well known for. And um, the thing is, is that appreciate, should be appreciated, but like he he does that better than anybody I've ever seen. Yeah, but he had organizing for America before he came along yeah. and he's an organizer, but he's black. Right. I, I, mean, I mean, it's politically. Yeah. Well, that, say, that's part that, of it. That was enough. Gavin Newsom is um he, the unions didn't like him in san francisco and he's got i mean you know the personal stuff you know barack obama the bathhouse stuff which i think is true by the way i'd heard this from a gay friend years ago and said that they had like direct witnesses in chicago who saw him in the bathhouses and stuff and so i just you know i'm i'm of the mind that this is all you know true um things that were kept buried uh gavin newsom's you know different uh foibles shall we say such as dating a 17 year old while he was a mayor um you know uh were very public and 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 then the private things you know the facts like he's a cokehead and that sort of thing um were are also out there it, it's yeah. just the it, he is just a, he's problematic to yeah. the extreme um, he is, but the women love him the, that's how well, he's getting elected in california and I, and one well, of the arguments i had with some people on the staff scott is that the, he reminds me of bill clinton a, a little bit where um yeah, for whatever liberal women kind of dig that kind of sexual grossness they're right. like that makes him virile, you know. I'm like, no wonder you you guys have the worst taste in men. Well, it's <laughs> no you know, it's kind of the, the you know the Fifty Shades of Grey voter is what that is, right? Like it's right. You know, well, right. I, I, and I said he'll get those voters. He will. Yeah, no, he will. I mean, and that I, you I don't know, know that he gets men though. That's the thing. Yeah, no, no, he want he like okay, Gavin Newsom bleeds black voters. Uh, which this is the reason why all of a sudden he's chilling for Kamala essentially to be the nominee in 24 mm -hmm. um, is to try to repair that. It's also the reason that he said uh, had Feinstein um, had to drop out that he would have appointed a black woman in that spot. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Some of that I think is is he and Adam Schiff don't get along. Um, which that it might be the only thing in Gavin Newsom's to Gavin Newsom's Well, credit. I mean, that actually makes me like Newsom more because exactly, exactly. Um, but he, he's going to bleed black voters. He's going to bleed Hispanic voters. Mm-hmm. I think he especially bleeds Asian voters mm-hmm. um, because Asian voters will look at Gavin Newsom and the first thing they're going to think is bad character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they may think that about Trump as well, but you know, like. Family and character is a thing about uh, which Asian voters tend to be pretty um, interested in. You don't have to be a religious Christian or any of that, because a lot of them aren't. But, you know, they do look at, um, you know, issues of character, which he has tons. Um, You know, not to mention the fact, like, for example, Chinese voters in San Francisco are you know fit to be tied about what has happened to their city, um, and you know Newsom was the guy that really started San Francisco down the the current direction that it's that it's traveling in. So, you know, I'm not sure if that word doesn't begin to get out in the Asian community that hey, whatever you do, you don't want this guy, um, and he could be like one of these people that gets into a primary you know, nomination fight against who knows however many other people and just collapses and doesn't do well. I mean, he could very well be that guy uh, simply because he just doesn't connect with voters outside of California. I mean, Kamala is so terrible though. I mean, like she is truly a terrible politician. I I, get it. You you saw the dancing video from last week, the dancing video. Oh, I can't. Oh my God. It's so bad. Kamala can't dance. She can't dance. She's bad. I mean, like, she's really bad. Um, Everything about her is a joke. The problem is, is that she is the Obama puppet that's left when Biden goes away. I just don't see how she wins because a lot of black voters. Well, she's not going to win. Like, she will lose. That The Obama machine that runs Kamala Harris is going to fall apart in 24. Like there is, if you want to know what's your silver lining as a Republican voter, if they put her at the top of that ticket, okay, she's going to get beat beyond the margin of fraud in a lot of these states. Mm-hmm. You just there's nothing you can do to to squeeze blood out of that turnip, mm-hmm. um, and it'll be the end of the Obama machine because it'll it'll break apart, and you'll have constituent groups now fighting over the Democrat Party, which as it turns out is a lot healthier than what they have now. Um, you know, because it it was what the Democratic Party had. And, you know, you had a semi-successful presidency of Bill Clinton. And Mm -hmm. I'm being generous here when I say semi-successful. But because he had to pull those disparate groups together and try to cobble together some consensus. And when he did that, he actually brought some Republicans over as well. The Obama style of politics is I have a machine. It's all the left wing groups. It's the minorities. It's the gays. It's the single women. It's all this kind of stuff. Um, And we're going to dictate policy to everybody. And you will get in line, which the Clintons were not about that. The Clintons were about, well, let me find you some swag and buy your vote off. Whereas with the Obamas, it's not really that. It's you will get in line with our socialist agenda or else. 
Mm. Um, and, you know, and that's they're more in lockstep now than they've ever been. The problem is when the lockstep choice is Kamala Harris, who is getting throttled in the polls and the people get demoralized and then she gets annihilated. Mm -hmm. You can't hold that party anymore because now it's in the wilderness. Um, and what's not, you know, a lot of people have talked about, well, if you run Trump, it's going to kill you down the ballot, blah, 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 blah. That analysis does not take into consideration what happens if it's Trump versus Harris. Mm -hmm. Because that's a whole different argument because she is that bad. Like she's somebody's going to have trouble getting more than 40 to 42 percent of the vote. And there will be a third party candidate, uh, Joe Manchin or somebody like that in you know in the the mix who will draw democrat votes away trump, i mean that will yeah, happen trump is still beating or at parity with biden with the poll last week surprised me that desantis is running behind biden uh nikki Hayes he, he's tied he's 46 46 46 46 okay yeah trump which is, is just that's just a function of all of the damage that's been done to desantis in this primary process. Well, you know, Nikki Haley, though, was running six points ahead of Biden. I mean, it's mm. that's obvious. It's it's you know, these are the single women that, you know, don't want to vote Republican, but realize how bad Biden is. And you right. put a woman on the ticket. And so they go, oh, I'll vote for that. I don't think it holds up. No, I don't either. You know, but it's they don't know anything about her. They know that she's female. And so, she oh, was okay. a governor. you know, I mean, Nikki Haley, the thing is, I keep saying this, Scott, I know you don't like her, but she has a lot of charisma and political talent. She does. She won in South Carolina and they're all misogynist pigs down there. It's a, South Carolina has the worst political machine in the country. And and I'm talking um, okay. Some of the, some of that is true. Okay, but um, I mean, I wouldn't. South Carolina is well. It's not just uh, it's not just Haley, but Nancy Mace keeps getting elected in South Carolina. They, yeah. You know, Tim Scott's a U.S. senator from there, so I don't. I don't know that all of that is true. I well, will say this: Nikki Haley's not popular in South Carolina, though. Huh. Um, Largely because, I mean, she did everything she could to be woke when she was governor of South Carolina. You know, taking the monuments down and changing the state flag because you had some loser kid that shot up a black church. Um, I mean, I, you know, so you have all of that. But, you know, South Carolina is not the problem because it's going to vote Republican no matter what. Um, I don't know. I. I don't think her Ukraine stance is going to play over the course of a primary process. Um, I think it's going to make her toxic um, because she's hardcore. I mean, she might as well be Victoria Nuland the way she talks about Ukraine. I don't yeah, know I mean, she's called. a straight up neocon. And so then that begs the question. I mean, that just begs the question of whether or not that can be sold to the american people well put it that, i mean okay we're talking about nikki haley we're not talking about her as a presidential candidate we're talking about her as a vice presidential candidate so the question there is you know whose vice uh, president would she be well she'd be I mean, trump, look right now trump is going to be the nominee 
Yeah, Trump unless something Trump. happens, Trump is the nominee, and I think he's the nominee even if he gets put in jail. Maybe, maybe even more so if he gets put in jail. Maybe. I mean, I you know, I, I I'm thinking that if he's not, it's probably due to, you know, a health thing of some kind, um, rather than a political thing of some kind. Because I just don't think that there's any way to to dislodge his voters right now. And with so many people in the race, um, you know, the anti or or other than Trump sentiment is going to be diluted enough that there's just nobody that's going to be able to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's just the way it is now. And, uh, you know, and, and I don't really foresee a health thing, even though when you get to an age of his, there could be a health thing. You look at Biden and it's you know the health thing is probably the um, the uh, the pretext for ultimately getting rid of him, um, and and it's probably legit because there's definitely a cognition thing going on with Biden. You think um, that with Biden, what's going to happen is that he um, they take care of the problem at the um, Democratic National Convention. Uh, maybe because it's getting kind of late, and then I'm I'm. Um, well, you have you have this problem, right? Because he he does have opponents, right? Like you have RFK Jr., you got Marianne Williamson, whatever, and RFK Jr. is not a serious serious candidate, but there are polls out there showing him with twenty percent or maybe a little more of right. the Democrat vote. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're the Democrats and you're nope nope we're on Biden we're on Biden and things keep getting worse which they are getting worse I mean like again he goes to Vietnam and they had to basically bring a hook and pull him off the stage because he was so bad mm-hmm. you know he gets up there oh good evening Vietnam and everybody in Vietnam has no idea what he's even talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and he proceeds to babble and talk about, you know, uh, you're a dog faced pony soldier if you don't believe in climate change. And all, like it was bad. Mm-hmm. And so they yank him off the stage. Um, and he's, you know, he's in Alaska for 9-11, which is really bad scheduling. Um, and then, you know, that's on top of the CNN. Oh, that's purposeful, though. That's that's the Obama administration just being their crappy selves. That I agree. Is I agree. But the, the, I mean, you have a you have a a president with a really bad PR problem right now. Yeah. And having camping him out in Alaska and giving a middle finger to the to the 9-11 uh, people in New York and, and whatever. It's a bad, bad look. It's the kind of thing they will do, and it may be what they have to do because he's totally non non compost mentis at this point. But yeah, you know, it's it's what they've got, and so you're not going to fix the PR problem there. It's only going to get worse. We we talked a lot in our last podcast about the fact that you do have some major economic um, right. um, bills coming due. Um, chickens coming home to roost, uh, and that's going to play out over the next six months. So, you know, what, where does this put you as the Democrat Party if you're going to stay with this guy as your presumed nominee, and yet 
RFK Jr. is out there on the hustings pushing a totally different kind of Democrat um, party politics, right? Back to sort of the more hopeful Kennedy liberalism, um, which I don't think has a tremendous constituency, but it's an alternative to what you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and if and if what you have is just not viable, it's kind of an any port in a storm type thing. And if Newsom doesn't get in, um, you know, the J.B. Pritzkers and Gretchen Whitmers and, and Phil Murphy's of the world, I don't know how any of them. I mean, I think maybe those guys might be a little bit more plausible than RFK Jr. is. But somebody has to actually get in. Right. And you've got maybe another month before it. you're so far behind trying to put an organization together and try to raise money and do all these different things. Not to mention the fact Pritzker maybe could do it. You know, you have to go kiss Obama's ring and say, hey, let me be the puppet instead of Kamala. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that that's even done. My guess is, is that, you know, Newsom has had those conversations. They didn't go well enough. And so he's not in. And so now it's Kamala. So, like, you get to some point where Biden then bows out and now you're stuck with Kamala Harris and RFK Jr. And it, like... Does she even get the nomination or is it RFK Jr.? If there's no other alternative. RFK Jr. will be dead before they let him get the nomination. Well, okay. I didn't want to say that, but that they might be forced to do that, right? Like, because you might be in a situation. Well, put it this way. It's, It's the same problem they had with Bernie Sanders, Right. They had to steal the nomination away from Bernie Sanders twice. Otherwise, he was going to he was going to win it. Right. Um, And, you know, like that, that gag has whiskers on it now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it kind of makes a situation where, like, you know, what are you going to do? Because you, you don't have anything that you can sell. And, you know, People are looking to the at the Democrat Party and saying, okay, well, you know, especially the, the non-Trump, like, well, what do you have? Because otherwise it's going to be Trump. And you can't, like, you can't, I don't think you can go, oh, well, I have Kamala Harris, because that's fine. Well, the thing is, the is that, that's not fine. You can't be Trump with that. And what are we going to do? Right. The 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 Trump thing is just like the elephant in the room all the time. Yeah. You know, he's just stomping around. Okay, so let's talk about this for a second. He got booed in Iowa, right? Uh, which was something new, and then flipped off the crowd. Right, uh, showed up at a football game and they booed him. Yeah. Um, okay, so kind of. I mean, it was mixed, right? It yeah, wasn't. Yeah. It, it wasn't like a Biden boo where everybody was booing, but it right. was still not great. And for right. someone who's a narcissist like Trump, you know, not exactly what he wanted. So you know, right. Well, and this has more, I think my theory on this is this has more of a kind of local flavor than it's some, you know, uh, sort of global reflection of of um, of Trump's relative appreciation. Iowa's governor is Kim Reynolds, who is if Ron DeSantis isn't the best governor in the country, Kim Reynolds probably is. Mm-hmm. Um, and she. uh She's on Team DeSantis. In fact, she's kind of been mentioned as if DeSantis were to get the nomination, it would be Kim Reynolds as the VP. Um, 
Well, and, and I can just Trump has attacked my, Kim Reynolds, and that well, like so this is a lot of Kim Reynolds people that are booing Trump. Dave Catron wrote uh, a great piece about this and how he thinks that Trump is going to lose Iowa. And Trump really just hasn't been in Iowa much because of all right. his legal crap. Right. And so, you know, DeSantis is likely going to win or very could very well could win Iowa. And right. so that's making Trump, you know, irritated. Well, I mean, I you know, if there's if there's an early state that DeSantis wins, I think it probably is Iowa. Yeah. Um, I think if it was a Trump DeSantis head to head thing in Iowa, DeSantis would win. But it's not. Right. right. I mean, you've got all these other candidates that are going to siphon votes off more, much more of DeSantis than on, of Trump. And that may be enough that, that Trump still wins Iowa. Mm -hmm. But it might not be the, you know, the blowout that these national polls are showing. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, Trump may beat DeSantis, you know, 35 to 26 or something like that. Right. Right. Um, which, you know, oh, that's not good. But then you get into some of these other states right. and, you know, and, and then it, it kind of straightens out for him. Um, we'll see. I mean, you know, he's not going to be on the road as much as these other guys are going to be on the road. He can't because he's got all the legal issues. And there's, you know, there's things Trump really can't talk about mm -hmm. with these right. four sets of indict indictments. Like he, the, the stuff he really wants to talk about, he can't. Right. Um, I mean, if I'm his lawyer, I'm going to put a gag order on him about everything that's going on in Atlanta. Do not talk about it. D.C., do not talk about January 6th. Like, you can't talk about those things. Yeah, but he still um, is, though. Yeah, I know. But at some point, mm -hmm. like, he's got to not do it. Um is he capable of this kind of self-discipline? Well, I don't I don't know. What I will say is that actually might be better political advice than it is legal advice. Mm -hmm. Like if they could prevail upon him to stop talking about the 2020 election and January 6th. Right. And so then he would have to focus on 2024. Mm -hmm. The job the Biden administration is doing the things that could be easily fixed with a new president. Um, like, that's how you win. Right. Uh, because if you, I mean, if you just have a series of speeches that talk about, and Trump has done some of this. I'm not saying no, that. I, I, I actually think that he, this is one of the areas where I feel critical of the other can, uh, Republican candidates. Nikki Haley, for example, I just praised her, but she, talking about ukraine when when all the way from maui to uh maine people are struggling because of because right. just of inflation i was looking at the data on that again because i was just like biden talking about well inflation's gone down no inflation is up 16.8 percent since you got in office right. and so people cannot and real wages have declined so yeah. people are literally going backwards every single week that they go to the grocery store and they know it. I'm telling you, 20%, when you consider 
lowering your income plus the increase in inflation. So you're 25% of say, and that's being generous of your, of your disposable income or your even not even disposable of your just regular income is now caught up in, you're not getting more things for that money. You're getting less things for that money. That makes a huge difference to anyone uh, are, but the you the, are um well and and you know and here's the 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 opportunity for these other candidates um is that you know Trump is guilty of some of this as well mm-hmm. because Trump opened the spigot mm-hmm. in in the middle of COVID and I mean you know it's last year in office they ran a two trillion dollar deficit. Right. And one of the dumb narratives that Team Biden has been running out there with is, you know, how much he's cut the deficit since he became president, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, utterly asinine um, for for them to run out there with. But Trump gave them that opening. So if I'm, you know, Ron DeSantis's campaign manager or Tim Scott's or whatever, like, this is one of the things I'm going to talk about is, hey, you know, you guys may be Trump fans, but here's the thing. We actually do need a fiscal hawk in the White House. We need to scrub that budget and get, you know, and get some semblance of normality back to the fore so that prices can come back down, you know, okay. so that your, you know, the pressure on your, you know, household uh, budget can be lessened so that it's possible to buy a house again, so that it's possible to buy a car. Um, like nobody's really talking about that and nobody is putting it in a, um, common sense sort of, uh, package to talk that they can talk about and say, look, the reason things are the way they are, you know, the reason food prices are what they are, the reason, you know, uh, you can't afford anything. Uh, the reason that, that, you know, the stores are all closed and all this kind of stuff is wrapped up in. It costs too much to produce things. We're overregulated as an economy. That needs to be done away with. I wouldn't even really talk about tax cuts at this point because it's taxes are not really the problem. The problem is regulation and and the government mandates on producers that cost everybody so much money. And then the the the, the federal deficit, which is through the freaking sky, probably a quarter of that budget really could be scrubbed. You know, because even though the economy is slowing, um, you still have a massive, massive labor shortage, particularly in terms of skilled labor. Um, and so what you what a, a smart government would be doing is squeezing welfare right now to force people to go, go to work. Well, that's exactly I remember when they did this. I think it was North Carolina where they stopped the food stamp program. And all of a sudden, you know, the workforce got flooded with the people who needed jobs and all of a sudden people. And so like a lot of these COVID, um, you know, slush fund responses to things, it needs to stop and it'll get people out there to work. And it's two two years overdue to stop that, you know, and and, the people who are educated, who are wanting a loan relief who are underemployed because they can be, will have to go find jobs that they really should right. get. 
and um or or if they want to keep the bs job they have fine take a second job right you know go be a pilates instructor or something um although my guess is some of these people probably couldn't be pilates instructors anyway um (laughs) you're so mean scott (laughs) uh, hey you want me to pay to pay off your student loan i'm gonna be me yeah, the same here. Well, I, feel. I mean, okay, what's your degree in? Like, could you survive that five minutes of vetting, right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, that you're gonna, you know, you're gonna make some guy who's a plumber, right? Or, or you know, what? Like, some, some guy that installs appliances, none right. of which work because of the stupid climate change green new deal crap that you freaking voted for and probably majored in. Right. Um, can't get a freaking job, and then this guy has to deal with the the you know the problems that, that your policies cause. I don't care about these people. I don't. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think ma- the vast majority of America does not care about these people, giving them a student loan uh, bailout. Here's like, okay, so here's the other thing, whether it's DeSantis or Nikki Haley or Tim Scott or Vivek, who probably would do this, or some of these other ones, which I don't even care what any of them do. I would love for somebody to say, yeah, you want to do student loan bailout? No problem. We're going to hang this on the colleges. We're going to force them to do it. Where'd you go to school? Oh, I went to Vassar. Oh, okay. And how much is student loan? $300,000. And what marketable skills do you have? None. Ah, okay. Tell you what. We're going to, we're going to like, we'll, we'll pay off a third of your loan or two, half of your loan. But it's coming out of Vassar. Mm-hmm. Like this is the, like you know we're going to go make a list of all of these colleges that ran up these student loans, and what the federal government has to pay is now going to come out of, of grant money that they get, or um, or future uh, subsidization of their loans or whatever. Your spigot gets cut off based on what you do to these people, or. Or you can forgive the loan. Either way. Yeah, that's not happening. Well, it would be a hell of a thing for one of these Republican candidates to come up with and to say, the colleges are the ones making all the money off of this, right? When they federalized the student loan program and made it so there's practically no underwriting in it at all, the colleges proceeded to ramp up tuition to rapacious levels of greed and they have cleaned up. So if we're going to fix this problem, they have to chip into. And I guarantee you the vast majority of the American public would be on board with that. Now, institutionally within government, could could you get that to happen? I have my doubts. But as a political matter and as something that would attract votes, and and you would put enough pressure on those, those people that you could negotiate something. If you even cared about doing something about the student loan thing, because to me, if you're a Republican, I'd like to see how many Republicans are actually asking for their student loans to be bailed out, because my guess is it's probably eight percent of the people that are that are um, that are out. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, the thing is, is that I think that you have the constituency for this is kind of upper middle class kids who whose parents didn't have enough money 
to pay for everything. And then the kids took out loans. Right. And, well, and I think the parents are probably Republicans. But maybe, I don't think the kids are. I don't are. know if the parents are Republicans or not. I mean. Well, some of them are. Yeah. Very few of those kids are Republicans. Right. Well, that's. Very right. few. Right. You know, I mean, you took those student loans out so that someone could indoctrinate you and make you completely different politically from your parents, who yeah. may be Democrats, but they're not the kind of Democrats that these kids are. Right. You know, the parents, dad's an architect and mom is a legal secretary and the daughter is a women's studies graduate who works at Starbucks. Have you seen that? has lots of piercings and blue hair. Have you seen the article of the about by the girl? I think she's um, done a video at Prager now where she was talking about how she went into college, a normal, happy person. And then she came out kind of a bitter feminist, right. hating men, hated her mother, like it oh, yeah. like wrecked her relationship with her mom and how she kind of needed to be deprogrammed like a cult. Like she came out of college feeling just, and she said, I had a great upbringing. I had a great life. I had great parents and I went to college. Um, and I think she did go to kind of a more woman, women's oriented school. I don't know if it was Vassar or where it was, and um, she came out just hostile right. and how like corrosive it was. So, you know, well, I, I mean, think you, the answer look, to this have... is state schools, at least for parents who are listening, like, or, or overtly conservative or overtly, although you have to be careful at the Christian schools too, because a lot of the Look, I mean, I went to SMU for three years and it was as woke as could be back in 1989. And now, I mean, there was a, I can't remember whose, whose piece it was a week or so ago about how SMU is completely off the rails. Yeah. And I mean, the student body at SMU is, and has always been just about the most conservative you can find. And yet they tolerate an entire faculty full of hardcore leftists teaching. Yeah. Right. And the answer is, okay, who's minding the store? I mean, this is a very donor-driven university. You know, as just as an illustration of that, SMU is essentially buying their way into the ACC. Now, they've had this conference realignment in college football or whatever. The Atlantic Coast Conference now has Oregon State, Washington State. No, I take it back. Um, uh, Cal, Stanford, and SMU, right. um, and so they're calling it the All Coast Conference, and it's like, yeah, that doesn't even really work because well, what SMU, SMU is, you know, pretty landlocked, I would say, <laughs> charitably. Look, the Trinity River will not impress you. Okay, no, just, that's Southern you know, Methodist for people who don't know what SMU is. Of course, you right. must must know, but but I mean, anyway, they're joining this because they wanted to get in a Power Five conference, and the right. and the deal they cut was that they were going to forego the conference TV revenues that they would otherwise get mm -hmm. for like it was either seven years or nine years. Meaning, hey guys, don't worry about it our boosters will pick up the tab for us. Right. We're good, which is, you know, super arrogant for one thing. But if they have the money, fine. But they just like, hey, we want to be in a Power Five conference. Nobody will take us. 
we'll just buy our way in. How's that? And they were like, yeah, sure. Why not? Right. right. Big TV market. Go mm -hmm. for it. But the point is they can draw on that much money from, from donors. Mm -hmm. And yet nobody's policing the faculty to make sure that it has conservatives in it. But the pro here's the problem. The problem is, is that no universities will accept into their PhD programs and conservative kids, kids have learned this, that they are, they have little chance to study what they want. They have to appease the PhDs who do exist and have their leftist biases. And so like they can't get in there. And so good luck finding um, a, and the, in the universities themselves, do not value since they're they value the credentialing system so much harvard yale will take people out of the business world who are excellent and make them professors and they don't necessarily have to have a phd and fill in the blank thing right. um but a lot of schools don't have the confidence to do that and so they will not bring on people of accomplishment who haven't got the well, that's just a leadership thing though. I mean yes, but it is but the the problem is everywhere. And so then you you can't get if you can't get the foot in the door. I mean, I had one of my one of uh, uh the staff on the American Spectator forego uh you know the discussion that he had with his one of his advisors is that because he was um on the conservative end of the spectrum and not even that conservative, he had no chance of getting into academia. And so uh -huh. he gave up the academic um, path. Yeah. And, and, and so well, like, this I mean, is a problem. No, it's a total problem. It gets fixed when you have leadership that's willing to say, fine, you know, we'll hire people and we don't really care so much about the credentialing. I have a business school. I'm hiring a bunch of business executives to teach. Yeah. And I don't care whether these people have a PhD in, you know, business. Like <laughs> I've got Rodney Dangerfield's back to school uh, playing in my head, right? That this, this right. scene where, you know, the, the stuffy uh, professor in the business school, you know, is, oh, we're now going to build our physical plant. And here's Rodney Dangerfield in the back. Like, oh, you left out a bunch of stuff, right? Right, right. What would you rather have as your professor in business school, Right. right. Much rather have Thornton Mellon than than the stuffy uh, business professor who's that's, never created a job. That's true in so many professions. Like if you look in media and PR, and you look in the academic world, I'm like, what do you get the PhD in that isn't obsolete five seconds after you got it? Because there, the yeah. it's changing by the day. You, you can. Be in this field, which you and I are, and we both know how the technology and everything is changing by the minute, and you're always constantly trying to keep up with it. And you know damn well that someone in academia has no flipping clue on how to deal with these minute changes over day, you know, days and hours and weeks. Give That's me right. a break. Oh, you and, show up on a college campus and you're going to go talk to the mass comm professors about, you know, how to make a, a, a an article shareable, uh, uh, how to drive right. SEO, how to, you know, how to how to push clicks. And, that, you know, they'll actually be offended by it. 
right? Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, well, guess what? Your people are not going to get jobs in media if they don't know how to do these things. So you are completely wasting their time. Right. Like you're wasting their time. They'd be better off with, you know, with an English major so they know how to write. Well, right. um, or a history major, so they might have some idea of what they're writing about than to actually right. be an ASCOM. Um, I have a uh, sort of a running, not so much anymore, but I used to have a running brawl with a hardcore left-wing blogger here in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. who's not as active as he used to be. This, is, this guy's name is Lamar White. And uh, he was the one who pushed, if you'll remember when Steve Scalise, I guess it was when he was up for House Majority or Minority Whip back in whatever, 2014 or something. Um, he's the one that pushed this thing about how Scalise spoke to some Ku Klux Klan group, right? Uh -huh. Some David Duke affiliated group, all of which was a total lie. Okay. Like it was a total lie. He had, um, he had a neighborhood organization when he was a state rep that was run by the guy who like ran the homeowners association, like down the street from his house. And this guy said, Hey, I have a group. You're going around the state talking about um, tax policy because there's some thing that he was trying to get repealed. And he was speaking to everybody. He says, hey, come speak to my group. So he goes and he speaks to 50 people or whatever, which was what he was doing. Well, it turned out that that guy uh, was also involved in putting on this other event at the same venue later in the day that David Duke was speaking at and all this other stuff. And Scalise is like, I don't even remember this. So if I did something wrong, I apologize, which was the wrong way to go. You got to meet this head on. You got to call them all liars and you got to you know, do whatever. Any, anyway, this turned him into this Lamar White guy into this big deal. He doesn't really blog that much anymore, but ba basically what he is, he's a left-wing attack dog. Right. And, um, you know, rich guy, his dad was a big freaking trial lawyer and got all this money. And so he kind of had this whole thing. So he decides that what he's going to, what he really needs to do is he's going to go into academia. And so he goes and he gets a master's and then he gets and he's all excited and actually emails me to brag about the fact that he's getting his PhD in mass communications. Mm. And I emailed him back. It's like, I cannot think of a more worthless thing to do with your time than that. <laughs> and yes, I do mean to hurt your feelings, but what I'm saying is 100% true, right? Like what right. on earth would you waste four years of your life or whatever getting a phd in that mm -hmm. for like so in other words you're not going to go work for a media organization and actually learn how the media works what you're going to do is read books about media organizations and then right. turn around and teach what's in the books mm -hmm. and anyone who would Anyone who would try to get a grad degree in mass comp, that's like trying to get a grad degree in computer science when Google hires coders right out of high school right. rather than waste time with college kids who for the last four years have been taught the way it was done 10 years ago. Right. It's, you know, these things, it's like a waste. And it, the fact that universities even teach these things right. is, it, it, you know, and they don't have no college anywhere that I've ever heard of has a major in sales. 
which is actually something you can teach. Right. Every sales organization yeah. in America will tell you we have to teach our salespeople. And right. it's like, and and there and there are principles of sales that you can teach people how to prospect, how to do this, how to keep organized, you know, the psychology of overcoming objections. All of that stuff is actually pretty. I mean, it's there's an it's obviously an art, but there's a certain amount of social science. Yeah, sister, it, you it could be a cobble together a really yeah. useful curriculum that you could teach somebody, whether it's in business schools or something else. And I mean, how much of the market and and how much of the job market, particularly, is sales jobs? Right, a massive amount, and yet they don't even bother to teach it. I'm sitting there going, okay, so all of these people with these student loan problems. Mm -hmm. ran up $250,000 worth of student loans. Look, if you got yourself a job in construction equipment sales, right. you could pay that two fifty dollars off in two years. Right. Okay. Like that, because there's money in that. If you, if you have any kind of actual talent in it. And right. a lot of people are good in sales. They don't actually have that much talent. They just understand how the process works. Right. And they're willing to do some of the stuff that sucks about sales, but right. you know, they got trained on how to do it and they do it and they, they like the money they make off of it. So they do it. And my guess is these kids working at Starbucks would probably do some of them would do really well in sales if they were trained on, Hey, these are the things that you have to do. Here's the thing. You can't indoctrinate people um, as they do in colleges to magical thinking, which is what colleges do, um, and teach them sales. You can't, because one of the things about sales is magical thinking doesn't work. You have to live in the real world or else you will never connect with the people that you're trying to sell to. And you will never overcome their objections because they will spot you for a BS artist right away. And so I think that's the reason that they don't want to teach sales in college. Especially this, the donors to the schools will be all the people that majored in sales and made all the money. Mm -hmm. And support the football program. And because, support the well, they, because they, they were drinking all the way through their business degree, <laughs> right? Watching I mean, football. Like the whole, yeah, the whole thing is is that you know, and and yeah. they they get all snooty about people who are athletic boosters, right? And the things that they teach on that campus are offensive to the athletic boosters, right? Well, why aren't you giving academics? Like, because I don't support your, your academic mission. I support right. the football team, right? And you you can act like I'm the bad guy, but you're the bad guy. Right. I'm actually a fan of the university and what you do sucks so bad. I won't give money to the university. Right. We'll give money to the football team or the basketball team or the baseball team or the women's volleyball team or whatever. I will do that. I'll mm -hmm. contribute to the athletic fund because at least I know they're actually doing something that is measurable. Right. And, and you know, competes against other peer institutions at a high level that yeah. I know. Is your English department any good? Well, let's go look at the curriculum. What books? Or let's look at the syllabus for English. You know, at the one thousand level, is mm -hmm. there Shakespeare? Is there Chaucer? Is there Poe? Is there you know, like no? Actually, it's a bunch of you know feminist and communist writers mm -hmm. uh, that we're gonna you know we're gonna teach English. It's like, and you want me to donate money to that? 
Right. Why? Why would I do that? You're you're actually making people worse off educationally <laughs> than when they walked in the door. Right. And like like you mentioned, they're unhappy. Uh, they're underemployed at the end of the day. They rack up a big student loan debt. Um, and and they they don't learn how to have good relationships with people. So why would I pay? Why would we pay for it? And the real question is, is why would you pay your kids tuition for it? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, because the credential, the and the answer is to that is right. because the credentialing process has uh, made it so that the average person cannot succeed in this system without the piece of paper, even though it's useless for most jobs that they're applying to. And that really what business should do is what they used to do, which they can't do anymore. But back in the day when my dad got a job and came out as a junior and he didn't get his d degree, he didn't have to. He had two job offers, one as a teacher, one working for GM. And basically what they did back then is gave IQ tests. And are you smart enough to learn? And if you were smart enough to learn, you got the, you know, you got put in the management training pro program in the various corporations because it was specific to their product and they would be teaching you about whatever they wanted to teach you. And I think that's a perfectly legitimate thing to do and something that uh, well, and, and I think we're gonna, to go back to, but they made that illegal. I, I think we will go back to it because obviously what's happening now doesn't work. Yeah, that's the whole thing. I mean, there I, I've yet to run across a CEO of a co even a mid-sized company who doesn't absolutely break out in a screaming fit over the low quality of the recent college grads that they hire. And it's not that the kids aren't smart. It's the attitudes are so bad, mm -hmm. um, you know, and like, the, you know, the excuses that they all have and the demand that those excuses be accepted um, and all of this kinds of stuff. I mean, it's endemic. They talk about, you know, workforce and how poor a job these colleges do developing it. And the, and the turnover of all these kids that like, you know, take a job and show up for a week and then go home and don't come back to work. And it's like, well, what is this? It's like, well, you know, I didn't really like your company. And it's like, been here a week. And this happens all the time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're not getting that with kids right out of high school who go in a management training program. You just don't. Google doesn't have these problems when they hire coders right out of high school. Those kids are fired up to go work at Google. Right. Right. You get somebody right out of college that spent six years getting a degree. I mean, and they may have a student loan that makes it so they damn well should be at that job. They don't show up. I mean, like it's you know you get you get bad attendance. You they don't do any actual work when they when they're there. And I mean, people complain about this all the time. Okay, um, less so now because there's such a, a labor shortage that it's okay. We'll just deal with it. But I mean, I remember when Trump was president. This was talked about a great deal, which is the universities and the high schools are doing such a poor job of giving us quality workers that it's ultimately going to slow down this economic boom because you need actual productive workers to keep businesses profitable and growing.
Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's hard to find them. Well, you know, we've had so many weird economics things that have happened over the last, you know, three or four years that that nobody's talking about that anymore. But the minute the economy starts growing again, they will, because this problem has not gotten better. It's actually worse over the last four years with what colleges well, are. Well, we're still seeing the, the, you know, one of the things that was interesting um, for my kid who did two years of high school in one year because of his illness. And so he was taking seven AP classes. Um, and I was like, you know, that's a lot. You know, we'll see how you do on the tests. Well, he passed them all. But I'm wondering how much of that was um, and it's not to say that I didn't think he worked hard or whatever, but that the other kids who have been so unschooled and everything are also taking these exams and just failing. Yeah. And so like, cause when you're looking at the data, the, the, the kids are not doing great. And so the, no. the, they're entering into, they're into college now or they were in college and had two years where they weren't really taught right. and it, it kind of um, playing catch up. And, and I don't know, like the learning loss and everything that happened um, and then the emotional stunting that happened. I think, I oh, don't yeah. know that we really fully understand the impact on our workforce, on um, basically the social well, it's, yeah. and everything. It's going to take a few years to shake all that stuff out. But I, mm -hmm. my theory is, and I'm pretty confident that I'm right. Um, you know, what we're going to find out is how much waste is inherent in secondary and higher education. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, particularly secondary education. And, and I, like, because everybody you talk to who homeschools their kid is like, we're done at noon. Right. Right. I mean, like, you know, we get our work done and we're done at noon because we don't have to like, you know, I, I mean, what takes an hour in a classroom full of 25 kids can take 20, 20 minutes. Right. When it's just one on one, you know, homeschool type situation. I mean, you know, like you could be done at noon and then you could spend your afternoons learning like non-academic things that matter in the real world. Um, you know, and, and so my guess is you're going to ultimately see companies who cannot get what they need out of this sort of conventional system that we've now set up, which is, has been corrupted and doesn't really work anymore. Um, they're going to start demanding something else. They're going to start demanding, okay, look, you know, give me, we're going to do apprenticeships. I want to, I want a tax credit for apprenticeships that we're going to run in our company. And we're going to teach people how to work for us. And we'll, you know, with the things that we get, we'll, we'll take 16 and 17 and 18 year old kids. They don't need a college degree. They can maybe go get one online down the road if they want, but that's not what we want. We want super bright kids in high school and we will grab them right now and we will get them a GED and, Put them to work. And you know what? If I'm particularly if I have a 17 year old boy. Rather than go send him to some college that's totally feminized where, hey, whatever you do, don't get drunk and hook up with some girl because you might get accused of rape and you'll be in a kangaroo court. Which is a real thing. 
Okay, that's not just some deal. Or, you know, they're going to teach you basically all kinds of things about how bad you are. But you're, you know, some you're some white male straight kid. They're gonna they're gonna tell you you're the worst person on earth. Rather than hear that shit for four years, let's go put you in an apprenticeship program at GE. And by the time you're 20, you make fifty thousand dollars a year. And if you want to get a degree, go get a degree. If you want to take time off because you've got money in the bank and go have the college experience somewhere, you're in a better position then than you are now. I think this right? is going to take a lot of uh, cultural change. I think I, I, some of it I feel is starting. My my it's opinion. My opinion about this, and and one of the leading indicators is I think that the the um, applications to Ivy's dropped this year. And uh, to, to all colleges have dropped. And right. And we're also on the precipice of a, a, a um, demographic change within the next couple of years. So I think that that is going to put pressure on the university system. And also, but, but what I'm also seeing is that the best and the brightest kids are um, their parents are not necessarily pushing them to go to Ivy's. They're keeping them at state schools that are have really good solid programs. And so like the competition at the more elite state schools is going up and um, and and then the Ivies are kind of getting a certain class of jerk, basically. Yeah. A lot of legacies, a lot, a lot of, legacies. Of, a lot of right. foreign um, applicants because it, you know, they spend all the money right. and then a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of actual American high quality students. Right. Well, I don't know that that is sustainable. I mean, it might be sustainable no, from a business perspective, but I don't know if it's sustainable for the, um, you know, the, the private universities that are doing it and for the country generally it's not a good no. it's really benefiting though like you know you walk onto the campus of ut which it is like a nerdorama like all the kids you would expect that would be at an ivy are at at a state school um and a m is the same type of way um although it's more spread out so you have these really brilliant young people engineers and scientists and and medical you know pre-medical and all of the things um you know the future leaders and they're choosing um yeah. actively choosing not to do an ivy well I, and in and in you know 10 years or 12 15 years or something like that you're going to see those preferences and those changes in preferences begin to manifest themselves societally. In other words, you're going to start to see when presidents nominate Supreme Court justices, for example, mm -hmm. it'll be somebody that went to the University of Texas Law School, right. right? Or or the University of Kentucky Law School or something like that, rather than Harvard and Yale. Um, for the simple reason that, number one, the public is not going to want to see too many more Harvard and Yale grads. Because really, most most Americans have a negative view of Harvard and Yale right now, and Princeton and the other Ivy League schools. And that's I mean, a huge a, change. I mean, that well, was no, it is. I mean, that was always universally recognized as right. a symbol of excellence, and now it's a symbol of kind of 
crappy, douchey privilege more than anything else. Um, you know, and like, for example, you know, you, you trot Katanji Brown Jackson out and I don't want to pick on her per se, but like, you know, the, the, I mean, she gets the most basic question in the world. Like, what is a woman? She can't answer it. It's like, well, this isn't the best and brightest. Like we knew she got the job or got the nomination because she was a black woman. Well, right. I mean, and then I you're not even, you know, right. Well, so it was an affirmative action hire to begin with. But then it was even within that, it was like, oh, plus we had to go get, you know, somebody from an Ivy League situation. Right. Rather than somebody, and I can't remember what the other the, the woman from South Carolina that was the the other one who had kind of worked her way up, <laughs> had good credentials, but not, I think it was like Duke Law Schools where she went rather than somewhere in the Ivies. But she worked her way up. She was a trial judge and did all these different things, which, you know, would have connected with normal folks. And they right. blew that because they had to go get somebody from Harvard Law. Right. Right. And then kind of make it out like, well, we're, you know, we're giving the downtrodden people a chance. And everybody's like, that's not downtrodden. Right. Um, and then she's not even any good. Right. Well, that's um, the most embarrassing like, part, isn't it? I mean, when you see these Harvard grads like David Hogg, who we mentioned earlier, who was so stupid, he didn't even get accepted to like the local community college. Like right. he was and having to do remedial work there right. and he didn't right. get accepted to state schools. He can't get accepted to a state school in Florida and Florida is right. not particularly known. And I'm going to say something really offensive for their stellar academics at there's even their state schools. Well, it's and really hard to get into Florida and Florida state out of high school. It's easy right. to get into Florida, Florida state out of community college. Cause the way that thing is set up. Right. But David Hogg didn't even get into UCF. Right. Which is so, university of central Florida in Orlando. And like, right. He didn't even get into UCF and yet he goes and he makes himself a big freaking internet you know, Twitter influencer or whatever, and then Harvard Harvard snaps him up. And it's like, that's not, this is not a great school. This used to be a great school. It maybe has some great things. It's certainly, you know, it's got some leftover prestige. There are certainly faculty there that are really good. It but is it a great school? In, nah. It says everything in the world that a guy as dumb as David Hogg thrived there. So, <laughs> I mean, okay, you know, like, right. it's like, great, but, you oh, know. I mean, it's like the hard part is getting in, right? And then they baby you, right? right. Which, yeah, if you'll remember the controversy about Halloween at Yale, when, you know, you had these, these scoldy leftists who were screaming and yelling about offensive cultural appropriation in costuming, for Halloween. Right. Oh, that's and one right. of the professors is like, it's it's okay to be a little obnoxious with your Halloween costume. Like it's not that's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And they went ballistic on her and her husband, who was also a professor over there. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, this is not a good school. This is a this is adult daycare for morons, right? right? <laughs> Someone who you would say, Oh, they went to Yale, so they must be really smart, doesn't act like that while they're in college, right? I mean, you know, like that doesn't happen, but this is what you get and it's like, okay, that's, not, I mean, I would I would much rather hire some deep from Ole Miss who, you know, hangs offensive signs from the 
from the frat house window, uh, you know, before a football game, right? I would might like at least that guy's got some creativity to him. He might be a jerk. He may be offensive, but he's probably a lot funnier than these people who get, you know, all we weed up over a Halloween costume, right? He's definitely more fun at parties, and it's like, well, you know, okay, parties. Um, and, and like, but this is what, this is the culture that these elite universities have fostered. Um, and, you know, I, like, I know that the real world has no use for it, which right. is why college admissions. Well, they are, have some use for it because these, these. Um, well, they have use for the vestiges of excellence that the university system had. Right. They funneled them into leadership positions that are way beyond their ken. For example, like the. Yeah, it was the by Bud Light. Right. right? I mean, so this at, is all through the corporate America, we have these kind of elite woke folks who are running things who are going to who are going to make the culture better it's not it's not just enough to be i remember when this happened in journalism um where it was advocacy and and it wasn't objectivity was the goal that, or to report the goal was to make it the make right, the right. world a better place and so you have this now throughout all of the degrees and you have these business majors who who um you know, instead of going to McKinsey and trying to, you know, do analysis, they go straight into the corporations and then put their pet theories into practice and kill the, you know, company um, right. and the bottom line because of their belief system. Well, but there's only know. so much of that you can do before, um, you know, there's a little bit of reticence to, to, to dip into that well and get any more of it from right. a hiring standpoint. I mean, at some point... And this is the thing. I mean, I, you know, I like all of this is a process and it's I think it, you're about to see it begin where you have corporate America undergo a great deal of change because even as much of the regulatory capture as these major corporations have done to freeze uh, smaller competitors out of market share, mm -hmm. when you, you suck this badly, there mm -hmm. is a price to be paid for it. Right. So, I mean, Bud Light's an example because you can't stop people from brewing beer. Right. And so you have small breweries who are out there kicking the hell out of the, 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 the big guys and killing their market share. And, you know, like I saw a Bud Light commercial uh, during the, I guess, the Packers Bears game. OK. And I mean, you cannot get more just, hey, regular Americans. Can we beg you to drink our beer? And it's like all these football fans and everybody's drinking a Bud Light. And it was like, <laughs> nah, that's not going to cut it, boys. Sorry. Um, yeah. Anyway, the point, and it just looks, it just looks lame at this point. Eventually, you, I mean, when you beat on a dog enough, it starts to become scared of you. And I think that you're, that's where we're kind of at with corporate America right now is. So many of these companies are in decline that eventually you're going to look around and you're going to say, okay, this corporate culture is what's killing us. And how do we get rid of it? Um, you know, and the best way to do that is when you have to do massive layoffs, right? Like, let's use this as an opportunity to change our, our culture uh, as, a, as a corporation. Let's get rid of all the woke idiots that have put us in this position while we have to lay off 5,000 people. Okay, I have a question for you. 
for us to close this out and loop it back around. Do you believe, because I was talking to some friends over the weekend who I hadn't seen for a while, big conservatives who were DeSantis, but now they're like, we have no choice. We have to support Trump because of the situation. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they feel uh, that this is a pivotal election that yeah. um, if Biden gets reelected, that basically America is kind of, as we've known it, completely done. And the reason for that is all the things that we're talking about, the entrenchment throughout the institutions um, and the kind of power and the force, actually more force being used from the top to um, kind of coerce Americans into a certain way of life because Americans are starting to resist it. Do you think that um, is true? Do you think that we're at a, um, you know, one of those moments in time where it will, you know, make a difference into the future? Well, Um, I, I, I think it's, I think you don't want to confuse the short term with the intermediate term. Like for example, if Biden, were to get reelected, or if the Democrats were able to foist someone else on the American people, mm-hmm. more than likely Kamala Harris would be that. Right. I, like I just refuse to acknowledge the possibility that Joe Biden would be their nominee next year because I just don't see how that's. I just don't see how they can do it. Um, I mean, I know right now they want to try, but I just he's not going to get there. Um, but. Were they able to win the 24 election some sort of way with what they have to offer for leadership of the country? Mm-hmm. I think that that four-year period is going to be the worst in American history. Um, like, I think it's going to be that bad. I think you will lose a war. Um, I think you're going to have probably the loss of the dollar as the world's reserve currency. Mm-hmm. Um, you will probably have the breakup of NATO some sort of way. Um, I think that your border is going to become so chaotic um, that, you know, there's and from Brownsville to to San Diego, America becomes basically unlivable um, all in all in that area. And all of your major cities devolve into chaos with the illegals actually making their way to those cities, breaking down all of the uh, social services and everything else. And I think you're going to get to 2028. And the question is, should we even keep this country going? Or should the red states just pick their ball, pick up their balls and go home? Um, and, and you know, and, and so you're going to be in a, like, maybe almost an 1876 type situation in 2028, where, you know, like, the country can't go on the way it was going on, right? And there had to be a grand bargain in 1876, by which Hayes managed to to win the Electoral College and the Democrats dropped that, but it was the end of Reconstruction, right? So in other words, you get to a situation where it's like, look, if we're going to have a political process, we have to come to an agreement on um, what kind of country we're going to be. And oh, by the way, the left doesn't get to dictate that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that may actually lead to better days going forward. So what I would say is 
2024 is a pivotal election cycle in that if the country is not allowed to correct, if the pendulum can't swing back, which Trump in 16 was the pendulum swinging back and somebody stepped in and blocked it. Right. Both with the Russia thing and the deep state uh, and the COVID business and the 2020 election, that was the elite in this country blocking the pendulums from swinging back. It will swing back. Mm-hmm. I mean, that can't be stopped. The question is when and how much damage gets done in the meantime. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then when it swings back, is it destructive rather than bringing us to a productive place? And I can't predict all that. I'm not one to say, oh, no, America's over. That's it. But I am one that'll say, hey, the short term is going to really suck. And I think that's true. I think if if Trump or whoever it is, if it's a DeSantis or somebody like that, uh, is the Republican nominee uh, in 24 and they take office in January of 25, they're going to have a bigger job to do than Reagan had in 1981 or on on the other side that obama had in january of 09 because the country was in what was in a bad place then you're like whoever takes office in january 25 if it's a republican i mean that project is so massive already give it another year and change and it will be even more massive if the if the if the you know day one scenario was January of 2029, you're practically rebuilding a country. Now, is that doable? Yeah, it's doable because most of what's wrong with America fixes itself if the negative pressure being applied now is lifted. We right. saw that with Trump, right? When Trump took office and he, he deregulated a lot of the economy, got us off with some of this climate change stuff or whatever um you know people did their jobs and people you know started businesses and got creative and for three years you had an economy that blew up did really really well that will absolutely happen again with a a modicum of um of not doing any further harm right um and I, i think it'll be fine the problem is do you have a Republican Party good enough to get elected and to do the kinds of things that eliminate the harm? Right. Um, and I like I mean, I've been saying a couple of podcasts from all of my work that I'm doing with this pack here in Louisiana and the people that I'm seeing are now running for office and talking to folks in other states that are doing similar things. Good people are bubbling up in politics right now. They really are. Um you know, how far along that gets um, is going to determine how easily we can stop doing harm from a, a political standpoint. You know, but, you know, it's clear you can't get there with Mitch McConnell. Right. I don't really think you can get there with Kevin McCarthy unless he's listening to the people like the Freedom Caucus and stuff like that. You can't get there with Ronna McDaniel. Can't get there with Ronna McDaniel. You know, can you get there with Trump? I think Trump wants to get there. I'd like right. to see Trump hire up a whole bunch of really good people. Right. Um, but like I look at, say, for example, what Kevin Roberts is doing at the Heritage Foundation. Mm-hmm. Big improvement from 10 years ago. Right. Big improvement. And like, OK, so they've got this entire, was it Project 25 or something? 
um, that, you know, like, hey, we're going to build a shadow government that you could just grab and drop onto the federal government when the next Republican president gets in there. Here are all the folks. Here are all the things they need to do. Just look, turn the key and let this let's get this thing going, which Trump needed in 17. Right. You know, so I see things being done, even though, you know, what gets reported in Politico is how, you know, Mitch McConnell's fine and everybody thinks he's great. Right. And we just throw a fit over that and go, oh, my God, I cannot believe that these guys are that bad. Mm-hmm. And they are. But there are other people on the right, you know, within sort of the Republican political infrastructure who are actually doing good things. And if those guys are given the opportunity, then I think you can fix some stuff. Yeah. You know, but yeah, that 2024 election cycle is massive. Yeah. It's absolutely massive. And the only thing that encourages me right now about it is everything I see on the Democrat side doesn't look like a party that is um, building its ability to hold the country. They That looks like something that's falling apart to me. Well, it does. And so that is why we're seeing the actual brutal strong arm tactics, jailing Correct. political opposition, persecuting you know, the biggest activists on Republican activists across the country right. trying to get Trump off the ballot. These are not the actions of a party with any sort of confidence in their own ability to win. Correct. And That's that, correct. that is heartening for people who do want the country to have some semblance of um, Americanness before this is all done. We don't want the country to be this um, um, tribal, you know, at each other throats uh, place that's in the fever dream, the anti-colonialist fever dreams of Barack Obama, which is what's being created right now. Just a a place that's anti-American. We want a place where everybody can go to football games. And the biggest problem they have is belly aching about their HOA fees and the, you know, their, um, you know, problems with so-and-so quarterback, you know, we don't want an America where we are stepping over drug addicts in our major cities where nothing is safe, where armed roving gangs are, you know, stealing stuff, where our federal government elites are thieves on the highest order funneling taxpayer money through Ukraine so they can enrich themselves and where you know the government is funneling money to these big pharma com- companies you know 228 million doses or whatever it was a billion dollars worth of vaccines for children that nobody's going to take so it's just a payoff to big pharma for reasons i cannot fathom and and foisting this on the American people, this kind of just um, constant, I feel like that the American people are uh, on the receiving end of a CIA operation to cow them into uh, insecurity and fear. And and Americans, the, the, the solution to that isn't an, another negative. The solution to that is building, being positive, getting married, having families, 
go, you know, and refusing to, to not, um, to, you know, no more shutdowns, no more, no more trauma. We're going to have a normal life. And I'm just not sure our elites are, are really interested in letting Americans govern themselves and be happy. Well, they, they aren't. But the question then is, is our Americans willing to put up with the elites? And yes. I think the increasingly the answer is no, yes. which is a very positive thing because, you know, we've been talking about how, how, how much, you know, how trashy our elites are for a long time. Um, and, you know, I, like, I just don't think their shtick works with normal folks anymore. And um, that I find hopeful. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Scott. We'll see you all next week here at the spectacle. Uh, we were, uh, we're hoping to have uh, George Perry on and he is uh, one of our legal um, people and he can talk more about all the different Trump lawsuits. That's one of our goals. So thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.